are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Peace and joy. Therefore, since we have been justified through our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thank you, Greg. As Greg takes a seat, too, just want to point out that Greg and Donna have served us in a very special way this week. That congregational mailing, every one of those envelopes was stuffed, stamped, and sealed by these two. So we're very thankful for that. That's no small task, and they've cranked it out in record time because the pastor was a day late on getting the letter done. So thank you, Greg and Donna. Well, wonderful words of Scripture. Romans chapter 5. We had a funeral yesterday. Frank and Annette, we laid their son Scott to rest. And as I was reading these words from Romans 5, I was reminded yesterday that this is what it all comes down to. Peace with God and the promise of glory. Your life can be fading away. Your strength can be failing. And yet the sun can be coming up and spring can be on the horizon for those who trust in the Lord. And so I wonder how you're doing today. Does it feel like we're kind of caught between two seasons right now? What exactly is happening outside? It was less than a month ago and we were caught in sub-zero days, day after day for I don't know how long. And then this week I saw a neighbor kid who was playing in the snow in shorts, a t-shirt, and in flip-flops. And I thought, there's a true Minnesotan right there. But doesn't it feel like we're somewhere between seasons? In other ways, too, I mean, is the pandemic getting better or is it going to come back for another round? What's happening for you personally right now, I wonder, or in your family? Do you know what it's like to be stuck between seasons? It's with those questions in mind that we pick up Scripture this morning and we're going to see what the Lord has for us here in Romans 5 and Similar to last week, I just have felt it impressed on my heart to pause and pray before we take up such weighty words of Scripture. So let's pause and pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you as little children. We are eager to learn, very much needing to learn, Lord. And yet we require so much help to do so. We come longing to hear a word from you, to hear 
some direction, to hear encouragement. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to rightly understand your word, to apply its truth, and that we would be strengthened by your Holy Spirit. Would you teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before us, we have a hinge in the book of Romans. That's really what happens as we start into chapter 5. And it's evident with the very first phrase we read. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. And this points now to everything that we have been reading in chapters 1 to 4 before we got here where it describes what it means that we're justified through faith. And this is a hallmark of the book of Romans. We've looked at the lives of numerous people over the past weeks whose lives were transformed by reading Romans and learning about justification by faith. Martin Luther was one of those, and he understood that justification is the teaching, he said, by which the church is found standing or falling. He said this, This article is the head and cornerstone of the church, which alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and protects the church. Without it, the church of God cannot subsist for one hour. Now in the past weeks, we've defined what we mean by justification by faith, this kind of big phrase, it's a mouthful. And today, before we press into the rest of these verses, I want to provide just one last brief summary of justification by faith. And the reason we do that now, what, three weeks in a row we have described this, is because it's the basis of everything that follows. So here's where it begins. It begins with the recognition that I am sinful before God. That's our starting place. And we know that sin might be out of vogue in American vocabulary and culture. It certainly is. But the evidence of it is all around us. Not just in the news, but also in our own hearts. We know that there are things that I have thought, said, and done from my earliest memories to this very day that have simply been wrong. Things that are selfish or immoral or that just miss the mark. That's what sin is. And who of us could say that we're without it? That we've lived the perfect ten. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's our predicament. That's where we start. This is what we're stuck in. That we have rejected the truth of God and disobeyed Him and therefore incurred His wrath. Now again, we just recognize how countercultural, how uncommon is this kind of message. I'm not aware of any best-selling books out there that talk about God's wrath or the reality of sin. And yet, this is the truth of the matter. I am sinful and stand under God's wrath. And we've said in the past too that God's wrath needs to be understood apart maybe from human caricatures of wrath. You know, the violent outburst, something that's out of control. When we talk about God's wrath, it's His necessary response to anything that would oppose His goodness, His righteousness, His beauty. And so maybe the way to put it is it's like a righteous anger. A little bit like we might feel if we see an innocent person injured or harmed by another. That's what we're describing here. And the thing about God's wrath is we read about it in Scripture 
is that it can never be isolated or understood apart from God's love. So in the same breath that God cannot tolerate sin and we say we stand condemned, we also say He has been actively making a way for our forgiveness since before time began. Did you know that? 2 Timothy 1.9 says, This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God knew. He knew that we would need rescuing. That we would need saving from sin. That we would need to be justified. And so then we come to this term, justification. For the Greco-Romans, Paul's writing in that context, they understood it right away because it was from their courtroom. From the famous courtrooms of the Greco-Roman world where a judge would hear the case and then declare this word and declare someone righteous or justified. He would say, I've heard the case and I'm declaring this one innocent of all charges. But how is our case made? Because we just said, well, we're guilty. We're standing in sin and we're condemned. The case gets made at the cross. This is where Jesus comes in. You see, we are guilty and the wages of sin is death, but Jesus comes to take our place. We just sang about it with John and the team. And so we're declared righteous. We're justified by placing our trust in Him and what He's done for us. That's justification by faith. It's receiving the gift of God's work done for us on the cross. A work that we don't deserve, that we don't earn, we can't try to buy it. We could never pay for it. It is a gift. That's why it's called grace. That you and I are justified by faith. So that's chapters 1 to 4. That's our little summary again this morning. And now starting in chapter 5, Paul is moving to the benefits of justification. Here's what follows because of it. Since we have been justified through faith, that once and for all act on the cross and my believing in it, Here is what happens. And so here's what follows now are these implications of justification. And here's the first one. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, number one, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when we hear peace, I mean, my brain instantly goes to a feeling It's the feeling of calmness, tranquility. It's the absence of stress or worry or anxiety. Even in a biblical sense, we we read about this often. We cast our cares upon the Lord. In Philippians, it says that there's a peace that surpasses all understanding that God gives to us. And that's part of the equation here. But don't miss exactly what Paul is saying. He is saying we have peace with God. It is relational peace that he has in mind. The issue at hand is my relationship with him. Because that's what you and I were created for, was relationship with the living God. But then sin gets into the picture. And it's like this big wedge that comes and drives me apart from God. And not just separating us, but it says that I am actively against him. Paul says later in our passage, while we were God's enemies... It's strong language, isn't it? And what justification does is it restores our relationship with God. And the big word for that, the Bible word for that, is reconciliation. And it comes up again at the end of the passage. If you look down to the tail end of verse 11, 
Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received, there it is, reconciliation. That's the first effect of being justified, that we have peace with God. And I want to be clear that it's not like it just levels things out again, like we're back in neutral territory where God can tolerate us. No, it's a complete reversal of where we've been. So maybe you're familiar with the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke. And if you remember this story, here it is in brief. It's saying, I ran away from home. I squandered my father's wealth. But now he welcomes me back as his beloved child. And you remember what the prodigal is saying when he's coming back? He's saying, if I could just be a slave in my father's house, right? Neutral territory. If I could just get back and be a servant in his house, that would be good enough for me. And the dad says, no, are you kidding me? The father says, bring my robe, kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a party because I am welcoming home my son. That's what peace with God looks like for me and you. It is a total reversal. I went from an enemy at the gate to a child at the table. Paul says, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Kids, have you ever been at the corn pit at 101 Market? You know what the corn pit is? Maybe I should ask the adults too. Have you ever been to the corn pit? And you're standing knee high in corn kernels. So many of them, you can tip backwards and you can swim in them if you want to. We're standing in grace that is so plentiful. That is the picture in my mind. The first benefit of justification is being at peace with God. And now comes the second one where Paul says, and we boast. I'm going to just press pause right there. Because I don't know how you handle boasting in your home as you're raising your kids, but boasting is bad, isn't it? I mean, don't we read about being humble in the Bible and not being arrogant, not bragging or prideful or boastful? Well, we do, and so we, we have to point out this is not what Paul's talking about here. There's a difference between boasting in human accomplishments and boasting in the gracious provision of God. You see the difference? This boasting here is about where we place our confidence, where we find our joy. In fact, other translations will say here, boasting is the literal translation, but others will say, and we celebrate, and we rejoice, trying to capture this meaning. F.F. Bruce said, peace and joy are the twin blessings of the gospel. I have twins. I have twin daughters. I highly recommend it. And this all the more so. Peace and joy are the twin blessings of the gospel. And then he goes on, F.F. Bruce does to quote an old Scottish preacher who said, Peace is joy resting. Joy is peace dancing. I love that phrase this week. These things go together. It's like peanut butter and honey. My wife's out of town this weekend, and the kids were over at the grandparents' overnight, so last night that was my supper. Peanut butter and honey on toast. These things belong together. We have peace with God, and secondly, we get to boast in the hope of the glory of God. And remember here, over the years, 11 years that we've been studying Scripture, we have pointed out 
that hope in the Bible is very different from how we usually use the term hope. In the Bible, it's not just this wishful thinking. You know, we're not gathered together at a memorial service yesterday and we're saying, I sure hope this is true. That when we die in Christ, that there's the hope of glory, but we're not sure we'll find out maybe when we get there. That's not what we're saying. No, we're saying it is a sure thing. It's a done deal. I just don't have it in hand yet. It's up on the horizon where God is storing it up for me. That's hope. And Paul says, we get to boast in the hope, the promise of the glory of God. And then I think in this text, he pulls a fast one on the Romans. He really does. I think they'd have been casually sitting in there. I don't know if they had church pews or chairs like we do, but they were sitting there and all of a sudden Paul says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And you have to think that caught everybody's attention. Wait a minute, was there a typo in that letter? Could we hear that again? I mean, I'm prepared to boast in the hope of glory. That sounds great. But I'm going to glory in my sufferings? And you can almost hear Paul heading off the objections that I'm sure were out there, even in the Roman church. And it's no different in our time, by the way. The script has not changed. These objections, these ideas, we'll still find out there. And I bet there were people wondering this. They were saying, well, how could Paul say that he has peace with God? When look at his life. He's facing illness, persecution, and difficulties of many kind. If God were pleased with Paul, you know, if Paul actually had peace with God, then his life would look a whole lot better than it does right now. It's very simple math. Very tempting to think that way. And here's how it goes. Does your life look good? Well, that means you must have peace with God. Are you suffering? Then maybe you stepped out of line somewhere along the way. But that math is as faulty as the day is long. That is not justification by faith. You know what that is a symptom of? Justification by works. By living a good life. And the Bible says, this is what woke Martin Luther up to these realities. The Bible says that is a bunch of baloney. That's my paraphrase, I guess. Now Paul has got it exactly right. And you could just go back and ask Job and Habakkuk. Remember, it was about a year ago and the pandemic started. We looked at the themes of suffering in the Bible. You could look at the life of Jesus, the suffering servant. And Paul says we also glory in our sufferings. And here's why. I want you to watch this chain reaction. You ever watch one of those YouTube videos of like the domino effect that goes through the whole house? Or Dude Perfect? And they've got the ping pong ball and the ramp and the cannons and the catapults and at the very end of this whole elaborate setup, the ping pong ball lands perfectly in the little red Dixie cup. Watch what happens here. We also glory in our sufferings because, why? There's a reason. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So suffering, the very thing that looks like it could crush you, sets off a domino effect in the life of the believer. And we followed it. 
Suffering produces perseverance. We're thinking of Hebrews 12.1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then the next domino. Perseverance produces character. And some translations say proven character. It's talking about spiritual maturity. And character produces what? Hope. It's the ping pong ball in the cup. The very thing that you think suffering would weaken, hope, is actually strengthened. Paul says in the next verse, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That was our kids' blessing. Do you see why Romans is so good? It's verses like this one. In Christ... God has poured His love like living water into your heart. And one writer said, this love is conveyed to our sensations. You can feel it by the Holy Spirit who resides in every believer. There is no illness, persecution, or difficulty that can ever change that. This is what happens when you place your trust in Christ and you're justified by faith. So suffering, where does this leave suffering? Well, the table is turned on it, isn't it? Hope only gets stronger, like a muscle that is pumping iron. Hope gets stronger. And so, yes, we will glory, Paul says, even in our sufferings. Then Paul continues by talking about the suffering of Christ now on our behalf. And we look at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. And this is such a good reminder for us. You know, it's not like God saw you giving it your best shot and He thought you were worth a chance. You know, that maybe things would turn out. It's not like God was a talent scout up in the bleachers and He saw just enough talent and potential in you that you know He thought you might make the team. Or that God said... There's a good heart in that one. And if I just polish it off a little bit more, then it will turn out nicely. No, Christ died for us, it says, when we had nothing to give. We did not give one iota to our salvation. We were ungodly, unworthy, unwilling. But God's love for us is so great that He came for us anyway. Do you see that? If we want to elevate God's love... We have to have a full understanding of God's wrath against sin and His mercy. Paul says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And that makes sense to us, just as it did for them. A parent would give their life to save their son or daughter. A soldier would give their life to defend their comrades on the battlefield. Those are noble examples of when someone would possibly give their life for another. But this, that the Son of God would die for the ungodly, for the thief on the cross, for the soldier below him, for me yelling crucify him, One commentator said the notion that one would die for one's enemies would be foreign to those living in the Greco-Roman world. Is it any different in our world? Paul says in verse 8, 
But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't love us for anything He sees in us. He just loves us, period, at any cost, even the life of His Son. Well, these are the blessings of being justified by faith that we have peace with God and the promise of glory so that even when trouble strikes, the love of God in Christ for us stays true. Last week I quoted a song that we've sung in the past and John, the ever-thoughtful worship leader, I tell you what, how he selects these songs every week, he decided to include it now for us to sing next. And it's a song that was originally an old hymn from England in the 19th century. And most of the hymn writers that date to that era and that time and place, they were coming from the middle and upper class in England. So they were well off. They were coming from Christian families, sometimes like clergy families. They had good, reputable backgrounds, but not this guy. The guy that I'm going to tell you about, we're going to sing his song, Edward Mote grew up the son of a London bartender. In fact, his parents owned the pub. And here's how he described his Sunday mornings. He said, my Sundays were spent in the streets. I didn't know a single thing about God. Until one day, somebody told him about Jesus. He heard the gospel. And that he could have peace with God and be set free and forgiven. And so Edward Mote, first one in his family, came to know Christ. And he grew up to be a cabinet maker. He was a tradesman. And it was one day when he was walking to work that he wrote these words. My hope is built. Now remember, cabinet maker. Keep that in mind. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. And so, my brothers and sisters, I'm asking you this morning, is that your song? What have you built your hope on What are you placing your trust in no matter what season of life you might be in? May it be Jesus. May it be His blood, His righteousness, and His name. We're going to sing that song in a moment. And as we do, we're going to invite you to receive communion there at your tables. So we're still in our COVID mode. And so, we're yes, we're using these pop-top little containers And it's a little bit different, but you know what? It's what's going on in here that is really the heart of the matter. And so I invite you, as we sing, don't rush to it, but just, you know, with your table at the right time, receive this meal together. On a day when we have read so much about the cross and what happened there for you and I, what a blessing that now we get to taste and receive the grace of God in this meal. And so we remember... That it was on the night that he was betrayed that our Lord Jesus took bread. 
And he broke it and gave it to his disciples to eat. And he said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, Jesus then took the cup. He gave thanks for it and gave it to his disciples to drink. And he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So I invite you to this table now as you have placed your trust in Jesus. Who was that, Grant? Just running? All right, we're, we're running to the cross. We're running like a child to the one who gave his life for us. And we're going to sing now as we take this meal together. Well, we're going to close in prayer together. And as we spend two, just some minutes here in the gym afterwards, I encourage you to connect with one another here in the time we have. Tag Vance is also serving as a prayer minister. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by the prayer station just to pray over you. And let's bow our heads together now. Oh, Lord, what a gift that while we were still enemies against your goodness, Lord, you came for us. You gave us a seat at your table, and you call us your beloved sons and daughters because of the cross. Lord, we're so grateful for the peace that we have with you, grateful that we can boast in the promise of glory and boast even in our sufferings, Lord. I pray that you would sustain each one who is here this morning, those worshiping online with us. Lord, whatever difficulties, heartaches, challenges we might be facing, I pray that you would strengthen your hope within us, as your word says. And now we bow before you, Lord, and we join with the global church in the words that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. And may he give you his peace. And all God's people across the gymnasium said, Amen. Great to be with you. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.